0: This is Art Artspeak. We're clean. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> hey, welcome to Art Speak. Yeah. I'm here. It, we're back. We are. We got derailed through sickness and death, actually. Yeah. Um, no, no laughing matter, but we do think that humor is helpful. So, uh, you know, don't, don't misread our tone today, but we do have a third part to what, Gareth? Uh, what is this the third part of?
1: I mean, your guess is as good as mine at this point, um, but it started off with suffering, moved into yep. death, and now we're just going to camp out some more.
0: Okay. We're camping out on what? Um, I think we're going to go to Miguel Carter Fisher for that. Yeah. Yeah. What are we camping out So, on? Oh So we have Miguel Carter Fisher with us again, and we have Ian C. Hess with us again. Mm. The four horsemen drive again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, um, so, and some of us are more caffeinated than others. A lot. A lot more sugar rated as well. So, um, so we're, we want to pick up with the last discussion we had, even though it's been some time. Yeah. that wasn't intentional, but you know, here we are. We didn't want to leave it dead, um, so to speak. And oh. so we're yeah, we're oh, gonna resurrect it. Yeah. I was
2: thinking um, maybe a good warm up. I I know that we got some comments and questions yes. from people online Great call, and Miguel. Yeah i I haven't looked at any of those yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is why we called
1: you
0: back. But now might
2: back. be an appropriate time to do yeah. so. No, I that think it's a great, great
1: call. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we did have actually have some good comments. Dude, that's
0: so great, Miguel. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know,
0: just let me pull these up real quick. Um, I'm going to watch some shared videos while you do that. Go for it.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, so we, you know, we thought the suffering artist, and one of them is, um, in this podcast, you all mentioned how the suffering artist makes better art. So what exactly makes the artwork better? How does it show in their work or your own work? What elements of design were effective and how were they effective? So really the whole thing is like what, like what makes the work better?
0: So I would jump right in and say I don't think all of us said that. I think that would respectfully to the, uh, the listener. Um, I think you may have got that in various, varied opinions. Mm-hmm. It was probably I would, me leaning into it the Yeah, I think it, it was, I didn't want to throw you under the bus, but I was I'm under say, the bus. Yeah, I going to say, that's Ian, Ian. Ian's take was emphasizing a little bit of that. And I think there's merit to it. Um, but I, and so I think what we got to was that there's sometimes, and I'm just going to jump in, is, an, is yeah. a, a kind of intensity um, uh, that maybe comes from, or sorry, it's an intensity that flows from a vacancy That was once filled by something so a relationship uh, a connection of some kind and in place of the absence of that the removal or the absence of creates deeper longing and deeper awareness and because there's more intensity towards longing and awareness there's a bit more hyper uh not vigilance but um there's a kind of a creative intensity or urgency Mm -hmm. that tends to uh, cause i think makers to grab uh, hold more tightly, more urgently. They sing with more. They make with more out of that that lack, if you will. And I, yeah. and I think you know the the opposite is often true. What you'll find is when people are content and satisfied, uh, that intensity, so to speak, is pacified. Yeah. And so, but but I don't necessarily think that that has to be true all the time. Is the only thing I want to say. Yeah, I think it's not <clears throat> a, it's not a one to one. I yeah. think, but
1: I think that there is a you know what you're saying. If, if, if we believe uh, deeply that like art and design matter and that they're a part of the world we inhabit, um, then those things are going to uh, elevate or seem um, better or whatever kind of words you want to put on it when it actually connects with that experience and that reality. And I think that's where um, – so it's not that there's necessarily like a, like a qualitative difference that you can kind of see – Uh, in somebody who's suffering sometimes you can but it's more in that space of like there's a there's a there's a connection and a conversation there's an experience coming out of actually being a part of the world which right now we have so many exits out of Mm -hmm. um that it's easy to find kind of untethered work that just sort of falls flat um you know i can make a meme in five seconds i can you know do some stupid dance on tiktok or whatever and uh i don't ever have to really engage Mm -hmm. i don't have to but when it When it does, I think it hits people.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was also saying that from a place of that I personally have gotten moments of that. If I were to rely on it, I think I'd be in a real rough spot. I totally agree with everything that both of you are saying, especially I think there's also an aspect of not having distractions. I think there's an intensity of focus like when you're devoid of any other source of I'm pushing my life forward. Uh, I'm striving for something greater. Uh, if it's focused on more so a relationship, a lot of that energy can pour into that. And if, say, if there's the lack of the relationship or it's gone afterwards, then the intensity of the focus, I think more so can maybe just makes more work. And from that, you're creating better work. I just think there's, there's a, a legitimate energy to suffering and overcoming it through the intensity of your work. Uh, I definitely don't want to make it a reliance. I would never say like <laughs> make sure your life is suffering. Yeah, I like, and then I like you
1: will of <laughs> volume though. That's something I hadn't thought about. Is that you know there are those times that uh, where you are like figuring things out or striving or doing something where the volume of your work actually does go up, so that uh, you know you're not making one piece that's not really doing much. Instead, you're making five pieces and four of them aren't doing much, but one of them actually did. You yeah. know, I don't know, um, but yeah, that's that's a I think that's a good point too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah yeah I agree with everything that's been said i mean I think people have a i think people well I can't imagine not suffering at least a little bit every day i mean mm-hmm. everyone does uh-huh. you know all of us especially after you you know you reach adulthood you know you're gonna have you know doesn't matter who you are you will have friendships that have fallen apart you know you will have lost loved ones you know there's there's always you know that the inevitability you of irritab- pain irritable
0: bowel syndrome yeah
2: irritable yeah, bowel syndrome <laughs>
0: which su- you suffer yeah yeah you know i mean i'm not i'm joking and being totally serious like no even, but it's true yeah to your point though like we only I mean, think of we the have, big suffering categories but there's yeah. like the lesser that are like 100 cumulative
2: yeah we have i mean our our bodies over time start to betray us you know <laughs> start <laughs> to shart more yeah yeah <laughs> and um so yeah it and i just i just think i do wonder about this like if well i I can't imagine you know you can wonder like well would people make art if there was no suffering but then i'm i think well without suffering is there such a thing as people like i can't our entire identity is in relation to um conflict and the resolution of conflict and the seeking of some sort of harmony or or equilibrium in our own lives. And we're always beginning from a place, uh, that feels broken, you know, from the start. So yeah, I, I just think suffering Mm -hmm. is so woven into the human condition. It's, it's inescapable, but, Maybe what can provoke art is, you know, I, I think it's always present, but there are times, like you said, I like the analogy you used about, you know, kind of this vacuum mm -hmm. that needs to be filled. I think there's moments where it's, it's, it's accelerated Mm -hmm. or the, the, or the suffering becomes more pronounced Mm -hmm. than, um, it might be day to day. I mean, you can't, you can't live in that place all the time, but I don't know. I know for me that that was my experience, you know, with like, with great loss, I just, I don't know, I, I, I you get, it also gets your priorities straight. You know, I, I think suffering has a way of reminding you that you are you are human and you are finite, you have limitations, you have a limited length of time you have a limited amount of resources, you know, I I think suffering just helps us kind of see the contour Mm -hmm. of ourselves. And with that self-awareness, um, I think it's also an awareness of what, what tools Mm -hmm. are at our disposal. And that's always, uh, for any artist, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's helpful.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, what you were saying about, um, just kind of the human condition being that way. I think suffering also is one of those things that you can't take for granted. Like it is so visceral that you can't just be like, Oh yeah, it's just kind of there. You know, like even if you've met somebody who's had so much suffering in their life, like it's still going to be apparent on some level, right? They're not going to become so kind of like jaded or cold or disconnected from it that they just don't tap mm-hmm. into it on some way. But I think it's, um, so, you know, uh, I think that we, we could be making like in a, in a world devoid of suffering, I think we still could be making a lot of fantastic art. I think it'd just be harder because we tend to take the good things for granted. You know, like the happiness, oh, that's supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, uh, you know, whatever's supposed to be here. Um, you know, where we can't, like, I don't know, there's something about like pain, suffering, loss, mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't sit with us in the same way where we can just kind of look over it. You know, because any, any given week, <coughs> I can tell you about how bad my my week was, all this, that, and the other. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, what about the million other things that were perfectly fine? You know, like everybody's got their health, everybody's happy, everybody's, yeah. you know, you're fed, you're you're warm or you're cool or whatever based on the season. Like there's all these things that are there and joyful, but those are easy to take for granted because we assume like, oh, well, that's just how it should be. Mm-hmm. Whereas like suffering is, is like a break from the
0: how it should be feeling that you can't, you can't not help but look at. There's also like another take on this, which is, um, you know, minor. So I think one of the things that maybe is we're, we're burrowing into is getting to where the suffering artist becomes a cliche at the expense of real, uh, like yeah. not at the expense of like reality um, in, in the, the, the kind of the human condition and so on. So the, um, the idea that um, one, one has to have suffering embedded in their experience to ground the validity of the art they make is a pressure people feel. And so people will induce a kind of suffering. You know, I think you could see it in cliches um, that are both cliche and not. I mean, I I hesitate to use that word because oftentimes cliche is about the person, not the thing. You know, it's like the, the mountain is not a cliche you are and how, how cheap you're interacting with this incredible thing. But so, but you know, there's the, the, I could speak to this in terms of like music, like, Friends that um, situate themselves and stuff away in, in order to accrue a certain amount of suffering, uh, mm-hmm. in order to to um, you know pass a threshold and appear valid in their expression, and so and then what you know you may get someone who actually is exceptional. They are really suffering, and they induce suffering. Mm-hmm. So now it's a compounded scenario, and then they actually do make ground making music, and it's paradigmatic, and you know it's like. Nirvana or something like that comes yeah. out and, and maybe all of these factors are converging and and it becomes a stronger archetype and expectation for subsequent followers to say, well, this is sort of the path one must follow in order to be. And I think I, think I would want to try to push against those strong associations so as to create space for other possible ways while not um, eliminating the realities of suffering in the pervasive sense that Miguel was hitting at. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, 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 it kind of begs the question in my mind of, and this is, gonna, I don't, whatever, y'all just push back. Um, the, um, you know, is there is there something about the way that, um, again, just using terms, of, like a serious artist, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Is there something about the way that a serious artist interacts with a world in which they may just appear to suffer more because they're digging into certain things more deeply or they're tapping mm. into veins of experience that, like, you know, somebody who's just kind of, you know, going to the mill for the nine to five may not really, may not even cross their radar. Sure. You know, but is there is there something about the the work that's being done, the way that it, atta- it, it, it attaches to society and people and memory and experience and everything else, is there something about the work of an artist or designer that just kind of makes that suffering... I don't know. More, more visible. More. Well, more visible. I, okay, So,
0: so I do think I think that's I think it's interesting. So I would say, I hesitate to say this because I'm not a "woe is me" person when it comes yeah. to being an artist. But um, I do recognize. So, if you're going to be an artist in any serious way, you are going to suffer a tiny bit. Yeah. Because you're just going to be odd to the average person, regardless. Like even if they support you, they're going to. It's more. It's more likely that people will just think you're odd and not sure what to, how to how to place you. Yeah, you know? start as an outlier. Yeah, you're even your closest, people that love you, they're still going to be like, eh. um, you know, like one of my good friends, Richard, uh, growing up, we were artists together and we, we did a lot together in VCU. Not Richard Haley, but another Richard Myers. Mm-hmm. And and Richard Myers' dad was a construction worker, successful contractor. Richard had all those skills. Yeah, And his dad couldn't understand why he wanted to be an artist. He mm-hmm. just couldn't get it. And so Richard became an art teacher mm-hmm. and he latched on to the teacher part. Because he could be proud of that, so that helped him. You know, I remember when he gave a talk at Richard's graduation party about being a teacher and how proud he was. But he tuned way down the art mm-hmm. part. Yeah, because he just didn't. You know, he couldn't. and Here's the thing: this house was impeccable, mm-hmm. all made by himself. His gardens were amazing. There was so much beauty and like complexity and harmony. He had all of that, and the me and Richard were talk about it. He was blind to his own sensibilities uh, and, you know, and he was deep treading in all the same waters as Richard. And, um, but he couldn't make sense of it for some reason, you know, so I think, I think you suffer for being a little weird at family get togethers, if you're fortunate enough to have family or at um, strangers on the street. I mean, it has never really gone away. I'm always a little bit, I think I always, I often experience a little bit of suspicion from people when they're like, "You're you're a painter, like you paint. Like you make paintings, and then if I show them what paintings I make? It's like, oh, you're one of those painters. Oh, you do paintings that I can't figure <laughs> out. You just make boxes and weird brushy paintings. Like, so I mean, so I mean, so there is a there is a, a put it another way to say is you suffer for kind of going against the larger grain. Yeah, and I'm not saying that as a woe is me, but it is a part. It is it is part of the gig. It, it just is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh... seems to be at least. I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but when our oldest daughter was, I don't know, she's probably five, four or five years old. Um, we have this painting by Chino that was at the time behind our our dining room table. And she was asking questions about, you know, well, why, why are this like, I mean, it's kind of, there's some hard, age, hard edge, like color spaces that are being practiced. And there's a, there's a, like a lighthearted um, self-portrait of sorts incorporated into it. With some mixed media, she was like, "What? Like, why is this like glass here? Why are these colors here? Why does it fade into this and do this?" And you're like, "Well, I mean, I didn't paint it, so I can't really tell you the whys in that respect. It, like, you want to know?" And she's like, "But it just doesn't. It doesn't seem like real life." And so I think there's a lot of things that happen in the art world um, where you push into something that doesn't feel like real life to help you explain or understand real life better. And that's one of those things where I think, you know, on a, you know, outside of kind of a, like an art school or specifically creative community, I don't know that there's a lot of folks who are kind of stepping into that lane saying like, hey, in my daily life, how can I push into like a deeper understanding or reality of like what this is we're doing? I mean, even this conversation is like kind of weird, right? I mean, like, hey, let's let's spend five and six hours talking about suffering and, and death. <laughs> you know, like why, why would you do that? And then, then people are like, Oh, of course it's the art folks. So yeah, I think there's maybe something uh, tied up in that. And I don't say that as like a, you know, a group pat on the back, but uh, just as I think there's a, you know, like a, a, a somebody who's a doctor is going to be more sensitive to somebody talking about a pain or, a, or, or something that they experienced uh, health wise. You know, and I think if, if artists are kind of tapping into kind of the experienced world around us in different ways, I think we're going to be more attuned to some of those things that are out of sync or problematic. hmm
2: I, th- I always wonder, I mean, does a certain amount of it just come out of uh, the act of creation? Mm. Because, I mean when you're literally, I mean, you can talk about it culturally, personally, spiritually, you know, any way you look at it, you know, all of us participate in the act of, um, creating giving birth to things that exist in the world that did not exist before. And I think that can't help, but sort of set you in a different place existentially than where you might exist or how you might relate to yourself if you are more of, of a consumer. Yeah. If if you live a life that is more responsive rather than active. And I, and I, and I think that that constant, like perpetual um, assertion of your own existence uh, through uh, keeping up some sort of uh, creative process where you manipulate the world around you um in the service of your vision Uh, you know i i I, it's sort of like two sides of the same coin is that if you're if you're gonna if you're always thinking about creation and you're always thinking about beginnings and of course you inevitably at the same time are also becoming more sensitive and more aware to destruction and to endings and you know every once in a while i think about like the fact that in you know million years or whatever you know the only structures we've created that will still be standing is concrete mm-hmm. you know that our cds are you know our books our music you know um and yeah i i i, I do wonder I, it, it's it's sort of hard for me to talk on this because you know like my father was an artist, I grew up around art, I'm an artist. I feel like I've been art- in artist brain for so long that mm. it's hard for me to sort of step outside of it and think, well, what do people who aren't constantly obsessed with creating things think about? Because I don't know, because I don't, if, I, if I wasn't always thinking about the next thing I want to want to make, I don't know what I'd be thinking about and I don't know what my relationship it's just my my fundamental relationship to the world would be so dramatically altered I feel like we need to bring on like a, I don't know somebody who works in like somebody with a business degree someone who works in finance yeah like somebody in finance yeah. to what come do you think in. about
1: what do you think about I don't know <laughs> getting home yeah uh, <laughs> do my job and leave no that's that's jaded. and um, it's
2: and it's funny because even even I, I'm thinking about my family you know I, I haven't uncle who's an accountant, but he's, he's a huge lover of music. You know, Mm -hmm. I kind of, I grew up in this family where every, everybody is half, half the family took after my grandfather and they're all scientists and half of them kind of took after my grandmother and went into the arts. But it was such a mixed bag of like biochemist, playwright, painter, art therapist, accountant, (laughs) teacher, all talking to each other, that there was this healthy Mm cross-disciplinary appreciation, like everybody kind of learned to appreciate the value of what other people do. Mm -hmm. And it it, it comes as sort of a shock to me sometimes when I go over to like other people's homes where they're like, everyone's a doctor or everyone's a lawyer and there isn't, um, and everyone has the same, I listen to how they argue and debate with mm. each other and everybody has the same tools, you know? And, mm. um, and I have, how do you step into, I don't know.
1: I think, I mean, I don't know. As you were saying, that the thing. I thought is the thing that I thought was maybe when you're not an artist and you have other jobs, maybe you get to actually have hobbies, you know? Cause I feel like the things that I do in my free time are not that different than what I do in like studio practice. Yeah. Mm. I mean like, you know, like, um, oh, I'm doing like sculptural things that are called furniture in my free time. You know, it's like, it's, 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 I don't know, your hobbies, you know, if you're working in creative places, like you're already in the area where most people's hobbies tend to be, which is a creative space. Right. So oh, I'm an accountant, but like, I really enjoy playing guitar or listening to like, you know, my high end sound system on amazing headphones that have these, you know, with this fantastic vinyl collection mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh. Which may also be part of the suffering because people are like, "Oh yeah, I do that. That's my hobby." And you are like, "Well, that's my livelihood and my job and part of who I am." Yeah, maybe you can. Maybe they actually get to have hobbies in their time off from work.
2: Yeah, I mean, do you guys? Have, I've never really been able to understand the, a hobby. Like it's 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 <laughs> it's a concept that just I can't wrap my head around. I'm be honest to, with you to I, not become I, obsessed.
0: I it's a valid category for me abstractly but I personally do not understand hobbies. And no, that's not a, I don't mean that in a condescending way, like mm-hmm. just in a, yeah. um, I guess, because I've never been a hobbyist personally. So like I've always kind of been whatever I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. And so I'm a, I've am historically been an all or nothing person. Mm-hmm. So th- I feel like you have to have a certain amount of restraint and delight that I, possess. <laughs> I don't possess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like there's obvious that are like, they know when to stop. Yeah. They really enjoy it, but they're not, it's not pressured to be anything. And I am too like, yeah, too. I promise you, I'm not saying this to make myself sound good. Cause I don't think it does. I think I, I should have things that I just delight in. I, the thing, one of the things I delight in the most is my kids. Actually, like I can watch my son seven and he's wearing pajamas that I'm like, I remember those, I remember those pajamas. So I'm just watching him get bigger. Mm-hmm. And I just sit there and laugh. I'm like, I just delight. It's past. It's hard to explain. But like uh, when it comes to doing things outside of being a father, like I, I'm an all or nothing person and that doesn't always go well. So mm-hmm. um, so I don't understand hobbies because I think you have to have, like even a hobbyist when they go in on, like, like the dude who like has the, the weird room in his house full of trains, you yeah. know, like the yeah, whole yeah. room is pure trains everywhere. Like I, I get that, mm-hmm. but I would have to not have grown up to do that. Like,
1: what's well, funny because my so my great grandfather was that guy. He, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I no, knew no, someone. No, I knew somebody was going to be related to no. that guy. No, <laughs> no. <way. laughs> but here's but here's the thing. It's he's not quite that guy that you're describing because he worked uh, from when he was 15 till he was like 65 for 50 years on the railroad yeah maybe. and so when he came home like he was he was kind of a day laborer on the railroad so he was swinging 12 pound hammers and shoveling coal and laying track doing all this stuff but when he came home he was able to kind of go from this like sort of uh magnanimous i am just i am just a a physical tool to be used by the railroad to like this very minute quiet slowed down like painting things constructing and it it was a I mean, it was probably a 400-square-foot room Yeah, that was an entire thing. And I remember being a kid and going in there and just being like, oh, my gosh, this yeah. is amazing.
3: See, to me, that doesn't sound like a hobby. It <laughs> sounds like a, like a genuine obsession. Like, there's so much artistry in oh, that. yeah. And maybe that's more so like the classification of what hobbies are because I'm, I'm the same way. If I start doing a thing, I'm like, I cannot stop doing those things. Like, I guess I could say a hobby of mine is riding a bike, but then if I start riding a bike throughout the day, it's like it's now the end of the day i'm like crap dude you've just ridden 75 Sh- miles <laughs> i mean straight up it's uh it's like I, I can't stop i don't know if it's an obsession or you can like qualify that as a hobby but i'm totally the same way like it's it's all day if i start doing the mm-hmm. thing there's no stopping that and i don't know if that's that's artistry or it's if you are compartmentalizing in i do a hobby my hobby is bike riding uh i've just never thought about it that way and yeah i don't know if that's I'm not trying to dismiss yeah, hobbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a
1: great question because yeah, I don't I can't think of a hobby I had. My hobbies cataloging them growing up would be um, drawing, making stuff, learning digital tools that allowed me to make other things digitally and design. I mean it's just
0: like, oh great, you you don't have any hobbies. Is what you've what you Yeah, you've just I mean I played there. basketball, but that wasn't a hobby school. I did. Like I don't yeah. <laughs> I think of it that way. I was mm-hmm. an obsessive hooper. Yeah. I don't know.
1: No, I think it's a good. I don't know. Maybe maybe we've just uh, struck I'm too some obsessive. great breakthrough that artists don't have hobbies. Artist <laughs> hobbies is just their work, and they we never. We don't. Up.
3: We don't have hobbies.
1: <laughs> yeah, let us know if you two are devoid of hobbies, um, and an artist. We'd like to, you know. I'm not anti-hobby though. I mean, no, I, not
0: at all. I, I really, I really gotta say that I've noticed that there's people where they get in and they're just like, I'm in my woodworking space, and like mm-hmm. they're they're just. It's why like my wife and I are, are similar in this way. Laura and I like we're we're kind of like all or nothing people. So we're two peas in a pod with this. So we're not like, um, people will think because we're, we make things or whatever, and I am who I am and she is who he is, that we're like the most, um, you guys got this, you and Callie have this, so we don't have it. Like, we can't make cool things. Like Like, we can't craft things. Like, we can't, <laughs> like, I can't go all in and like build my kids, like. Like a clubhouse. Like I did build a build a (laughs) clubhouse. No, and he did a great job. There's a but there's like a thing where a part like you could you could crank out an awesome cake, Mm -hmm. right? That's really awesome. We don't have that. Like we can't like we can't get we can't hone it in. It's like too demanding, and because we're all or nothing, it's like too much to try to channel it.
1: Well, I would also I would. One thing I'd add to that is that there there is something that uh, I don't know if fellow designers will appreciate this or if they'll just be like, no, that attracts. Uh There's like an anal retentiveness uh, in design that yeah. I think tends towards those sort of things you're talking about, where it's like, yeah, there's a, I don't know, like there's times where I'm like, I really really enjoy the details of this. Yes, yeah, so and you have people to. are like, hey, there's a whole forest here, buddy. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. You ha- you kind of have to. And so like that's the thing is like, Laura and I are terrible at wrapping presents. I mean, you can't tell who who wrapped what because it looks. <laughs> Equally crappy doesn't matter who. Does. I mean, my kids don't know any better at this point. But like, Laura's sister is like impeccable. You know, every crease, every it's mathematical. It's it's crazy. And Laura and I are like, it's like my brain doesn't fire that way at all. It, you know,
2: it's funny you say that because I always hate when I fail to do something like that, and then people always say the same stupid thing to me. It's like
0: you're you're an, th- artist. You're an artist. I hate that you're
2: an artist. You should. You know, you should be able to make Why is it your handwriting
0: nice. better? okay oh God.
2: When I, when I worked at a restaurant, I got that shit all the time. Yeah. It's like...
0: Hey, can you paint me a bouquet of flowers in the back of my chair in my above my cabinet using puffy paint? What do you mean you can't do that? You're an artist. <laughs> You're an artist. I'm the principal of the school. You're an artist. Yeah. You, you got to do that. It's a singular
1: monolithic ability set. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do this.
0: It's a bad deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a... <laughs> I, I like that it's. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Even wrapped up with this, let's. let You know, I'm not. I'm not going like. You know, what was us mopey people <laughs> yeah, party So mopey right
2: now. We're, where
1: guys. are we, dude?
2: We got lost
3: for a minute. But, I, think, I, I think we're still but tracking. I do, but
2: I do think we hit something really important. Okay, help about us out, Miguel. The tone it in about the obsessiveness of artists, okay. and um, mm. and that like my friends all tell me that I. They're like, oh yeah, Miguel. He just he doesn't have an off button like i wake up in the uh, morning and i'm just like this yeah i'm just yeah. like yeah exactly <laughs> well the listeners can't see your yeah. face
1: but imagine imagine ryan with a very uh, startled look on his face i go to
2: bed <laughs> like this and i wake up like this <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah i yeah it's just God, i don't know i don't yeah even even stuff i do like watching i love like old art house cinema and stuff like that. But even then, I don't really think of it as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Like, because I I feel, I see these people who, you know, they have these like group pages online where they're talking about how, look at at what I got at the Barnes and Noble 50% off sale. And they're like showing off their giant closet of about $4,000 worth of Mm Blu-rays and stuff. And I'm like, that does not appeal to me (laughs) at all. You know, but, you know, I watched uh Tarkovsky's Andre Rublev with uh, my friend John yesterday and you know and I'm totally into it and stuff but I but I feel like even when I'm watching that film I feel like I'm 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 doing the work of an artist and that I, I'm relating to art mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's sort of like I'm, I'm in a Indonesian gamelan group I have no aspiration to like be a great you know performer of Indonesian music but i i just find it amazing and it's and it's a little it's a little too complicated and difficult to do i think constitute a hobby because when you fail <laughs> at it you feel bad and i always feel like people who have hobbies don't feel bad when it when things don't work out yeah you know like yeah, yeah. and like yeah so i But I do think you hit on something really, I I do think this touches on something really important about like the character of people who are interested in pursuing a life in the arts. And um, I don't know, do do you? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think there's something there. I mean, the, the type of people who back in history would have like scraped things off of every surface, mixed it with some animal fat and then rubbed it across the surface. Like there's a weird obsessiveness there. Yeah, And I think that that's probably still a part of it in in a lot of different ways. Um, An obsessiveness to uh, have the gall to say that you can go into the natural world and like actually use parts of it to affect and change. Like there's there's something about that that is much more in touch. Mm, Sorry, (laughs) let me not say that. There's something about that that feels like it has a different level of connection to um, a world that can be uh, cold and hard at times. Um, then you know most folks on an average day
0: oh you're making you're making um, ontological <laughs> statements about human beings I know okay so here's so I'm trying to keep them as vanilla I as possible I know you are Even though that's here. not what I do check this out so hold <laughs> hold that because yeah. I because I want to come back to that real fast here's what's popping up in my head oh and, and and again this is I'm good with I mean I don't want anybody if you're doing if you're a hobbyist and you're listening we love you and and if you're if you're a hobbyist and you're bummed, let us know about it. Cause then we can be like, oh, okay, we got to change our perspective on it. But here's the thing. I think why hobbyists are often not bummed when they're doing hobbies is because hobbies oftentimes are built into a uh, post-industrial mm. idea of how we exist and, and how we identify ourselves in terms of how our time is allocated. So it's sort of analogous to saying uh, it's Friday, it's the weekend, Well, why does that matter so much? It wasn't like that, you know, pre, uh, you know, pre um, industrial revolution. You worked six days a week, took off Sunday and you go back to work. Like your mindset was different because you're more wedded to the work as a fully integrated reality. So if you're working the farm, you're, you're defined by the seasons, your, your crops, like your identity, it's all infused. But then we start to get into this shift, this modern shift of the way humans exist. And so you go to work and you work, and that consumes a certain kind of portion of yourself, and and the work becomes a means towards enjoyment outside of work at some point. Mm-hmm. So you don't work because there's enjoyment in the work; you work so that you can gain time away from work to do things that bring you enjoyment, and so it creates a really clear distinction. And so, because so what I'm so you're talking about um, categorizing or compartmentalizing. So when you're talking, Miguel, and, and I think partly all of us in this room. Is more integrated. Like uh, you know, we just tend to gravitate towards things that for us are enriching. And so, if you're really grasping the fullness of uh, that which is, which would include the arts, and you know what you were what you were just getting at, Gareth, mm-hmm. is it's fully and it's a fully integrated world. And so, I'm not, I'm never really uh, compartmentalizing necessarily because the richness permeates most everything that I I choose to do or I'm able to do. So I don't really ever have to compartmentalize out of that. In, in that way, or for precisely those reasons, I kind of do sometimes. But I'm just trying to make a clear distinction and say that you know it's very possible that hobby. I, I would love to know, like, did, did did the idea of the hobby come out of p- a post World War II America, mm-hmm. like, w- um, because woodworking would have been vocational. Yeah, but then you get you get uh, yeah. uh, let's just say you get men coming home from World War II, and these are these are uh, people that are resilient. They they've seen things. They know how to make things. They know how to do things. They're industrious, and all of a sudden, um, you got a paper, pencil pushing job. What do you do with all that industrial energy, all that all that makerliness? Where does that go now? It doesn't build toward society for everyone necessarily. Well, it becomes a hobby. All of a sudden, you got people tearing their houses down and building new houses. Mm-hmm. You know, like fetishizing woodworking or yeah, or yeah. Uh, in, uh, special interests in that sense. So 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 in some ways, perhaps. Oh, this is such a huge leap, but uh, and I'm thinking so out loud right now. But it's possible that um, there is an obsessiveness that's shared. It's just it's just assumed under a different rubric or a different picture of the way life occurs. And so it bifurcates people into different states of mind about what they do with their hands and their, their eyes, their, their hand-eye coordination, so to speak. Um, because, and in, in, in here's the thing, we're still talking past tense. I mean, there's a tidal wave of people that are like, oh, I'm... Like, I'm going to live in the future in, in a virtual space. So, so all of that um, energy is towards that end now. And then you've got generations of people that collect toys. And so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of converging factors. But what I wanted to say was perhaps we have failed to account for what you were alluding to, Gareth, about us and in, in, in how we're constituted. And, and within the way we're constituted what what are the kinds of things that one we, we, we ought to be doing and maybe the society we live in doesn't permit that very well as far as um,
1: Yes, yeah, I mean I know creativity I, you know artists I talk to <clears throat> folks in a creative space they really are like there's I think some of the suffering that they experience is what you're talking about there's this connection to a world or, or an idea about the world that should be the one that we're building or the Mm -hmm. one that we're moving towards. But there is a reality to the society we exist in that doesn't, that just kind of hits back at that and like puts up walls and says, no, you can't do that. No, you can't be that serious. No, you can't be that interested. Can't be that. Yeah. Um, So if you just uh, kindly scroll through your phone and doom scroll, scroll yourself to death, that'd be great. Um, Doomer. So I think there's a, you know, maybe, you know, there's, there's kind of something there that, like all of this is kind of coming full circle where it's like, okay, if we see things in a certain way, we experience life in a certain way, but the world around us is constantly kind of hitting us over the head with things that we're like, well, that doesn't feel like a super strong argument for why things should be this way. Why can't they be like this? And they're like, no, sit down, be quiet. Um, That maybe in a roundabout way, there actually is (laughs) built in suffering uh, on a larger scale. We might consider to just creative pursuits in general, because the world is not a creative place. Like it's just not. It's a super boring, bland vanilla place full of a lot of people in brown suits that are just dying to like kill you with them. So it's a super boring, horrible spot. Um, and I think that's one of the things that even draws folks out into the arts is they look around and they're like, "This is the best we can do."
2: I'm thinking of, um, and I'm I'm not a a Marxist, but I'm thinking of the Marx essay. Uh, I think it's like the, the alienated. Most,
0: most Marxists aren't Marxists.
2: <laughs> uh, that's a whole. That's another podcast. <laughs>
3: but um, <laughs> Miguel's like, do I take the bait? Yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah. Not, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking. That's the bait. a hot potato. Yeah. The cheese on that trap looks so tasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, most people do not know what to think
0: with with what I just said. By the way.
2: But, the, uh, but in the alienated laborer, I remember we were at the essay in college and it always stuck out to me because it, it talked about um, workers, what happens to them kind of emotionally and psychologically when they no longer see themselves reflected in the products they produce, mm-hmm. uh, that when you become alienated, when what you do as a job uh, becomes completely alien to who you are as a person and maybe it's out of that that this culture of like hobbies has sort of come into mm-hmm. existence is because um and maybe that's why there's some sort of i always you know people always sometimes you know people can have this attitude about artists like oh you're you're entitled because mm-hmm. you you just want you just want people to pay you to do whatever you want like that's not a job that's a hobby <laughs> and maybe The difference between hobbyists and artists is that, you know, some some people are just like, well, I'm going to make money and I'm going to do what I have to do. And in my free time, like, I'm going to spend that doing this, like, sort of natural self assertion through the creative act. You know, I can do that on my own but then that also becomes prescribed and, mm-hmm. and commercialized. And then, then, ho- then there's an industry around hobbies where it's like express yourself in these prescribed ways. You know? Um, so that's, that's a whole other issue. But yeah, I, I guess maybe the thing is with being an artist and stuff is that maybe that, that disconnect, uh, that natural need to satisfy the creative impulse is just so great that you're like, no, this isn't, this part of who I am cannot be peripheral. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this has to be at the center. It's mm-hmm. like, like like I was saying earlier, like my friend saying like, you know, Miguel, you have no off. Maybe what makes an artist an artist is not having an off switch. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you wanna be engaged with life and you wanna stay engaged with your life all day and um you know because i've worked like you know i worked at like macy's and stuff like that and i had coworkers who had been there for you know like sometimes like 20 years and stuff and i'm like how like this is so mind-numbingly dumb our conversations with the public are literally scripted like i was given a script that i had to know and i would be quizzed by my manager Like, did you ask them this? Did you ask them that? And stuff to make sure I was sticking. So it's like, how do you go this long with, uh, you know, with that lack of genuine human connection to other people? Mm. And I noticed that, like, other people seem to have an incredibly high tolerance for it. Mm. And I had no tolerance for it at all. Like, I felt like I was dying in there. It sounds horrible.
3: I don't know. Sometimes the way you're describing, I mean, I agree totally. I'm sure if you go to like a different lens on reality, there's probably like a diagnosis. Someone's like there's something someone could tell you that there's something wrong with you in that. And yet you're affirming yourself and realizing your potential, your soul, your passions. And creating who you are through all of its difficulty with the understanding that it's going to be difficult. And like, there's, there's another perspective out there that you'd be like, oh yeah, he's just manic. Like there's a, there's a drug for that, that you can also, you can suppress these urges. Don't worry about it. And there's, I think a massive suppression of people's true longing desires in the world. So like working at Macy's for 25 years, there's a certain acceptance of like, I will be suppressed and it's okay. Okay that I think there's other people that are just aren't well, and I'm not trying to, I'm not bashing on anyone, but there's, there's some people that just, there's an absolute refusal to do that. And I think that's, that's also kind of floating on the outskirts of talking about hobbies. Like, I think something with the idea of mastery and mastering something where hobby is like something I can give myself to sort of to play. Whereas mastery is like a true pursuit an endless pursuit towards Truly understanding something, truly engaging with a larger, holier world and how this connects to other types of being, other types of creation. Uh, that I, I, I've i been recently reading Robert Greene's Mastery, and that's it's been hitting me. It's just sort of like laying bare the ways and understanding it's sort of putting words to. Shout out to, to Rob Greene. Sh- shout out. <laughs> it's sort of putting words to kind of what i I couldn't in a way it's just very concrete it's it sort of has like a straightforwardness to what it is to master something i'm like that's my constant yearning to improve to work on things to understand as much as possible that i think is everything you're talking about miguel too is like there is no off switch for this like this is what i'm in it for and everything else besides that can seem like a distraction or silly or willingly taking on Suffering that has nothing to do with you, like reading the news in the morning. Like there's there's some amount of suffering that is built in institutionally in this country that uh, if it bleeds, it leads like there is an active pursuit of difficulty to make difficulty seem as loud as possible, as encompassing as possible to make the world seem like a truly awful place. Because if all I did was watch CNN, I would I would truly believe like this this is a wholeheartedly awful world that we live in. And things like pursuing what is true to myself and creating something is just so so pure, so fulfilling that ignoring it, yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't ignore that. I mean, and it just seems it's so much more legitimate than, I don't know, just uh, putting on other words to it. I'm kind of losing my train of thought, but am I making sense right now? You yeah, are. I hope that I'm making sense.
0: Dude, you don't make any sense to me, man. I watch CNN 24 <laughs> seven. I can't even understand how you don't. So oh, you lost me, dude. I get everything. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> somebody saved this man. You need a better hobby. No, I think I mean, <laughs> there, there is something. I
1: think you mentioned countercultural in there, like with the idea of it. I think that is like, you know, we, we do live in a highly, uh, I wouldn't even say consumer based. I'd say consumption based. Like everything is consumption mm-hmm. um, in the terms of like complete devouring of something, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so, you know, like don't get a, don't give an Amazon, don't get an Amazon card so you can buy a few paper towels. Get an Amazon card so you can go bankrupt. Um, so it's you know it, it's kind of in that space. So there is like there's just a there's a flat out audacity, <clears throat> a counterculturalness uh, in just go back to what you said, Miguel. Just the act of creating anything just making anything in a society that at its base level is just about constant consumption, you know, just take in, take in, take in, take in. Um, So there's something super countercultural about that. Um, And then you factor in like obsessive type personalities (laughs) that want to do things like mastery. Mm -hmm. Um, You're, you're going to have, you're going to have some folks who are like, today wasn't a great day. It felt like I was not in place with the rest of the world. I felt a little odd and I think that's Okay. Um, cause there is something like necessary about, um, about makers, about the creative pursuit. Um, so I think even in a positive, like the most positive sense, uh, when you get to a place and you kind of mature into understanding that suffering as kind of just a, a sign that you've kind of integrated things into your life in a certain way, um, I, I think it, it can be there, but it doesn't really maybe bother you as much in some ways. Like you just understand it as part of the equation, um, because I do wonder, um, and this was another another uh, comment from the uh, from the, the the last or the first episode where they were talking about um, kind of you know the general public always talks about Van Gogh cutting his mm-hmm. ear off and everything, and like you know they were like, we, "I don't give a whole lot of of that. I don't really connect that necessarily." But it also begs the question of this idea of suffering is it is it really just kind of a narrative that we've written by looking here at the past Mm -hmm. or was it something that really wasn't a part of it i mean you go through especially art history 101 and you look at oh the super rich son of the super rich person spent his life making paintings for the super rich and you're just like what's the suffering
0: Mm -hmm. you know that he got syphilis (laughs) not not downplaying that yeah that's some suffering dude
1: but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> it's not the suffering we're talking about where it's like, oh, you've given your life to almost like a monastic vow of poverty. Like you hear a lot of people talk about in art school, like, oh, I'm never going to make any money. Dude. The the comment is very much about like uh, our society's <laughs> obsession with rise and grind culture, right? That there's like nothing is given. Everything has to be earned. And like there's suffering that comes from that. Instead of that kind of being like a natural state, like that work is hard. So I, I I'd like to. Tell my daughter every once in a while, like, she's like, so, like stuff is like having to clean my room and it's like hard. And you're like really like telling me to do it over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, if you lived 200 years ago, uh, if you wouldn't work hard enough during the day, we wouldn't eat dinner. So uh, pick up your toys. You know, it's yeah. like just a, pick up your excess. You know, it's like yeah. just a, a bit of a, a remembering kind of where we sit in a historical, historical space. But, yeah, I do. I do wonder if kind of a conversation around suffering, like would we have had this conversation 300 years ago? No. I and then so. what would have taken this place?
0: <laughs> How to make things.
1: Well, why would we try to about survive? That? Why we talking No, about I
0: mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so I read this and I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. I read this quote today and it wasn't Huxley. Oh, somebody else. Bernstein 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 bears. No, probably. Oh gosh. This kills me that I didn't bring this book today. I should have brought this book. Like, so, um, he was trying to get at some idea of beauty, but he was saying that um, to really s- okay so he was he was suggesting that to really see beauty for what it was would eliminate now, it's going to sound jacked up, but it was the way he was saying it and just, this was just a book quoting this guy wrestling with try to ha- trying how to like how to get at kind of a transcendent reality but so he was saying uh, something to the effect of um, well, he was talking about Huxley's experience, you know, seeing, seeing things, mm-hmm. um, using some assistance to see some things, you know. Uh, oh, like telescopes halluc- and stuff? Hallucinogenics and things. So, so then um, this other guy is like, well, um, paraphrase, uh, seeing the, like the temporal vividness of flowers, like the kind of burning bush reality underneath the skin of the flower, naked eye for what it is um was so otherworldly that and so then to start to sort of peel back the layers and say all of reality is like this intense vivid kind of um in in existence coming out of existence thing that's so intense that to if if we all saw it for what it was we wouldn't need to make art um you know it's like whoa that's an interesting thought. I gotta sit mm-hmm. on that for a minute. Like, I gotta let that like that sit on me for a second. Um, and so, in and, and so like, is that tracked? Is that at least like, it's like it's like saying like, hey, there's a a uh, extra five. There's like a five D way of seeing the world, and it, it is what it is. And if we saw it for all that it was, we would we wouldn't need to make art because we would rightly recognize who we are by extension of what we see. I I agree and disagree with that. I. I you know, in terms of like who we are, but I do think I can understand the, the impact of the statement because, you you, you know, we, we often talk in reverse like, well, the arts help us appreciate things or they enrich our lives or they do all of these things. And so so I, I I'm only read that today and I'm like, OK, I'm going to sit on that for a minute and think about it. But I do think it's interesting to throw into the equation because when we go back, you know, you'll get people that um, I'm not going to you just get to sit around and make art and, you know, I'm not going to just pay for you to make art. Well, you kind of do, though, you know, but you do it, you, you prefer like you pay for Netflix or you pay for like you pay to get your nails done. You know, you, you pay for things. And so um, you get the value, you, you get some sense of the aesthetic value of things. But we don't, we are um, defined by work in, in a post-industrial sense of work. And, and here's the thing, work is good, actually. I, I'm a fan of work. So I think work is really intrinsic to who we are, but um, we use work to to justify the value of things, and some things just don't square with um, numbers and sense. And typically, the arts, poetry, doesn't square with numbers and sense. It's an it's like ineffable. It's like outside of that constraint a little bit. It's in and outside of it. It's elusive to more, and it can't can't be contained well. And the irony is, I think that is more so what reality is and we've got a way that we've built a society that tunes that all down because if we did see things the way we are i don't know what we would do like if if the 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 hypothesis is true like that there's something way more going on here and we actually saw it for what it was i don't think we just would make art i don't think we would do a lot of things the same way i think we'd be like fried i think we'd I think we would we would have to um, completely re envision um, uh, how we think about existing, and so um, I don't know if I'm making if I'm making sense, but so Making so, a lot of sense, yeah. So I think so I think things like humor and and things like art and aesthetic play have something to do with how disjointed we are to each other and to the world, mm-hmm. and even metaphysically speaking. So I would go vertical and say like ultimate reality kind of stuff, like God kind of stuff. So like, I think because all that's disjointed, then we're trying to make sense of the world and, and, and either press deeper into it or press away from it. Yes. And I think those are the tensions we fight in. And so I get, having said that, um, I I have a high view of work and I can imagine how some people can't, like I can imagine, you know, somebody doing one gig for a long time because the the gig is the way that they're known. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like it's like where some of us it's more important that we experience certain things. We what we lose in that possibly is how people know us. You know, we, we might be harder to know. Yeah. Other people say, I'm willing to screw a little bit of the experience part because I really am gonna I wanna be I, wanna be, I want repetition, I wanna be known. And so like you you think you said it well about us being finite. We're so finite that we can't have it all. And so people people sort of part ways along these dilemmas and they square in certain places and like, you know, there's there's got to be the person that works. Like my friend Jerome's mom worked at Mervyn's, which is like a department store. And she she worked from the ground up her whole life and she you know, she worked there and she she lived a rich life. But it wasn't a playful life. It wasn't you know, like it was, it was noble, but I, that's cause I knew her though. I knew her son and I grew up around him, but, um, but in the same breath there, there is people that I've worked with where they've been at the same job and they're, they are mind numb, you know, like they are like worn into a pattern and, and they're, they're like locked in, um, in, in a way that to me is similar to the person I've known, we've all known people in the arts that are like a travesty, mm-hmm. like their life is not together at all you know so like your life can be together and you can say you're an artist but but also i know a lot of people where their lives are not together at all and they don't make they don't make the best art either you know like the work is suffering mm-hmm. so i guess what i'm trying to do is draw a big picture and say there's something about the world that we're in i do think we're somewhat alienated from it because someone someone alluded to that and i do think that uh we either mediate towards the richness or we mediate away from it um in as at least one big kind of um, summary statement, I guess.
2: Well, what I find really interesting about the the idea that we wouldn't need to make art if we could just simply see things the way they are. Um,
0: I want to come back to that, by the way. So, thank you for saying that. I yeah, come
2: back. and uh, but
0: because I don't I don't agree with that, but it's a, it's a great thought exercise. Well,
2: yeah, no, it's an excellent thought exercise um, because. For me, it's well. It, I think it's defi- it's how you define seeing. If you define seeing as a a passive act where you're just um, receptively taking in mm-hmm. information, um, then I think it can lead to a kind of uh, th- th- um, a misguided um, perception of what are, uh, you know, a a model that doesn't really fit the reality. I I think reality is really uh, seeing is um, perception through all of our senses is a simultaneous give and take. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a two-way street. Like, I know I see things, objects differently when I'm drawing them. Mm -hmm. You know, that drawing brings me into that intensity. So it's sort of like, To me, it's it's this idea that you can't uh, that if we could see things how they really are, we wouldn't need art. And it's like, well, if we didn't have art, we wouldn't be able to see things at all. You know, like we would be. You know, it's like art. To me, art is is the seeing, and um, and that has me thinking about and you know what you're saying about people being mind numb, and you know this sort of maybe inherent. You know, the, the inherent nature of suffering, the uh, and in light of that, the in sort of inherent human need to create, you know, whether that's at the center of your life as an artist or on the periphery of your life as a hobbyist, or however you fit it in. Um, a lot of people, it it makes me wonder, like, how much is is a society like i feel like we have very mixed messages and we're very confused about how to how to look at the question of how much is a single human being entitled to when it comes to that need for um creativity and self-actualization you know because you can be extremely talented uh have a great imagination be very hardworking and then be born under circumstances that don't give you, uh, the opportunities you might need or other people have every opportunity in the world and they're just simply not interested, you know, mm-hmm. they want to in it. They don't have that fire in them, that hunger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's funny to me because you know, that, Oh you just want to make art like you know kind of attitude you just want people to pay you to do nothing um that seeing it is self indulgent i i feel like it's only appear self indulgent if you assume that the natural state of man is to be kind of uh uh in a state of uh spiritual constipation you know what i mean <laughs> like you know it's like it's it it almost it, it seems like it comes out of a kind of almost a Uh, a disgust that might be some unexamined envy or, you know, maybe this idea that you're better, you're more integrated into this community. If you uh, decide to be impoverished in the same ways we are like, I don't get to express myself and they're not over there expressing themselves. So, you know, why do you think you get to, and, um, or at least you, if you do it, these are the, if you do need an outlet, these are the prescribed outlets and, or
0: sort of like the, um, like the acceptable, these are the ones we've sort of collectively agreed upon and, and you're operating a little too much outside of what we, what, what works best for the most, yeah you know? And so that creates, um, truisms and, um, a kind of a framework that you feel and you start to push against the framework, you know, intuitively, yeah. even in it, yeah, well, it creates a that's dissonance.
2: A, that's a good way to put it. It's that question of what works best for the most. And I feel like everybody has an opinion on it. And most of those opinions are, um, too reductive that aren't, they, they don't take out the, they don't look at the full complexity of that question.
0: I think this is a good place to maybe, yeah, because I, I want to go into the I reductive a, part.
1: Yeah, I got some. Uh, I, I got a binary I want to throw on the table too uh, in these conversations. I got a but, canary binary, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's a good place to break um, and leave you on a nice cliffhanger, cliffhanger. <laughs> and uh, not yeah. a Stallone cliffhanger though. No, not a Stallone cliffhanger. <laughs> just a regular, just a regular, 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 regular
0: shock of space uh, cliffhanger. Yeah, bum, bum, bum. So, yeah. hey, what that means is come back again because we're going to pick back up in this conversation. Yeah. And with that, we love you guys. Fantastic audience. We'll catch you later. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Miguel. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.